Welcome to episode 42 of the Running on Om podcast with Dana Flynn, yoga teacher and co-creator of the Laughing Lotus Yoga Center. In this episode, Dana shares the story of how yoga came into her life, from being a former stockbroker owning a restaurant in New York City, to the spiritual journey that brought her to her yoga mat. She describes the biggest challenges in her personal yoga practice and her inspirational Lotus community. Dana reflects on the intersection between music and yoga in her life and in Lotus Flow. Lastly, Dana reveals what's ahead for 2014, the upcoming Lotus Shakti Summit, and exciting trainings and growth in the Laughing Lotus Yoga Center. If you would like to connect with Dana and the Running on Om community, you can find us on runningonom.com, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. In addition, in order to help others find the Running on Om podcast, it would be very helpful if you could leave a review on iTunes. Oh, Welcome, Dana, to the Running on Om podcast. Namaste, Julia. How did yoga first come into your life? I, uh, God, were we always yogis? (laughs) Have we done this before? Uh, I was running a restaurant and it was pretty wild and I'd always loved, um, people, community that had been my yoga without calling it yoga was how I found, I, I feel like I met myself through others and, uh, through others, I I connected to something deeper. So I had opened up a restaurant uh, after being on Wall Street. I was a stockbroker on Wall Street. And, uh, you know, people would come in. I, I The hostess with the most is jump into the booth and get to know everybody. And uh, I created, yes, a look and a feel. But it was really for me about connecting with the people. And, and it was a real party lifestyle. So uh, at a certain point, even though I was a big runner then, uh, shifts slowly, small, very slow, very gradual, where I started, I was just cur- I became curious, like, I usually had somebody in my life who was, just saw the world differently. I was very in the world and very uh, enthusiastic and, and driven, if I, to, like, if I had a vision to not do it would be like, no, I have to do this kind of a thing. Even opening up a restaurant at 25, most people were like, well, have you done a restaurant before when I was looking for money? And I was like, uh, no, this is my first restaurant. Well, if you've never done it before, how can I give you money? Kind of, you know, it was like this cat 22. And so even getting it open was a crazy long story. But um, I, I started like... Uh, there were shifts happening in me, so I was like looking at books, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. I started being like, "Why am I here?" And I hadn't really asked any of those questions. <laughs> I was more like, if I had an idea, I went for it. What steps do I need to get from here to there? And uh, <clears throat> I remember going to like really simple. Uh, my friend first took me to like an ashram to go chanting, and I really loved the way the chanting made me feel, and I didn't even know what I was really chanting. But I was definitely, like, digging some holes, like, and searching, and books would fall off shelves, and you'd walk into those bookstores back in the day in New York City. You know, you'd be like, East-West Books, you'd walk in and be like, hmm. It wasn't so much, like, self-help books, but it, it, it that was kind of the genre at the time, but it was like, um, 
I remember a book in particular called Where Are You Going by Baba Muktananda. And I'm not much of a planner. I don't have like, what are, what are you doing in five years? Like when you talk to some people and they know. So it was like, where are you going? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> and uh, in that book, he did, you know, you read a little bit more about other yogis and mystics and um, learned about the rishis and other beings that had this thirst, this quench, uh, this uh, quest and thirst for awakening, for transformation. And uh, I, I kept going with that. I was like reading and going back to the chanting and I was still kind of rollerblading and hip-hopping, <laughs> running around the city. Always on my bike, always on wheels. A lot of energy, but now it was like, I feel like the gift of yoga, I mean, I do feel like if yoga finds you that, you know, we've all, that we're all yoga, we're all already yogis. And something in us is awakened to that memory of it, like this ancient memory of who we really are. Uh, and so... I kept, I went, you know, I went back, to, I would go to the classes and I would feel something and I would read something and so I wanted to be vegetarian, I like, it was like my choices, everything became like a, a doorway into my soul, like how do I want to live and what's important to me and, uh, you know, I went to Cornell and became a stockbroker and opened up a restaurant, so it was like, not. You know, sometimes in, I think they're eliminating the horses that are around Central Park. But you, when they have horses, they have like blinders on <clears throat> so that they're not, you know. And so my my path just looked, I just was kind of in one direction. And then everything, my you know, that's what cosmic means. Everything became more vast and curious. I actually was, there was this cool cab driver in Paris. And even as I say it, you'll know it. He was like. Uh, talking and saying that by being, you know, you stay young, youth is, your your level of youth is in line with your level of curiosity. Like, if you're curious, then you're young, you know? And I, it's true, like, I remember one of my teachers, Gopala, he was like 84, and he would say he was 84 years young. And he had this curiosity about life, like when you see a kid, you know? And so I've always felt kid-like, um... But then the beauty of yoga, like focusing this, like all this energy that I have, um, giving it direction, feeling more guided more deeply to myself and guided to serve in a way that creates a, a family, a family of beings and community that I get to know and I get to know myself better through them and uh, became a more powerful, loving and beautiful vehicle than like partying at the restaurant and yet the restaurant really was uh, how I got to know myself better and how I just, I met like amazing people uh, on the, on the uh, plane back from Paris. I had made a nice connection with Mike, the flight attendant. My mom was a flight attendant for United and I was on a United flight, but he had, you know, he had this like light about him and this presence. And you know, we just like boom and we were crazy about each other and he's like, you got to meet, uh, you got to meet my, my, my sister-in-law. She's moving back from Puerto Rico. She's going through a lot of change and she's, she's in New York. And, and I was like, that sounds great. I'd love that, you know? And, uh, I didn't see him the whole flight cause it was like, you know, he had a few people to serve. And then my, 
the flight lands and there's a Facebook message from this woman I know who's a DJ in town and she says, my, my really good friend is here from Puerto Rico and she really wants to do some yoga and it'd be real, I just kept telling her you got to meet. Within the breath of her finishing that post, Mike tells her, she's like, oh my God, I just heard you met Mike and he said, Trixie has to meet Lisa. My nickname is Trixie. And so like this is, I mean, right? So far. That I meet him, and he's like, you got to meet Lisa. And then my other friend, Wanda, is like, you got to meet Lisa. And then yesterday she came to class at 12 o'clock. <laughs> so, like, you know, my yoga makes my world just bigger and more fun and makes everything better. You know, like, everything that you do is more alive and sensual. I feel like a much more sensual being... Um, essential and sensual, like my sensuality, sexuality, and aliveness and joy and uh, passion for everything it has like more color, flavor, excitement to it. Wow, that's a really beautiful story of interconnectedness from the very beginning, from opening your opening your restaurant to this recent flight you took in the past couple of days. That's so cool. So cool, and then you go like. I went when I was in, so I went to Istanbul to be at Rumi, a big part of Lotus Flow, the movement of a yoga that has emerged over time um, through me and through my uh, relationship with the t creative teaching team and a lot of listening and faithing and trusting in the process, you know, that uh, like I couldn't have known. 25 years ago that my practice would look like it does today, I had to be, it's like, I remember wanting to go to college and like, I'm out of here, I, gotta, I'm gonna, I wanna graduate now. But I wouldn't have had every one of those experiences that I needed to have, not just the classes, right, but everything that you go through is so vital. And so, uh, over time, the practice just shifted and grew and then stayed the same and uh, at the heart of it, it's this connection to this uh, longing to transform, to be present, to be kind, <laughs> to uh, to feel all the things that you need to feel, um, to dance with the divine, to feel connected to God, to see God in each other. That's, that's it for me. Uh, so uh, Lotus Flow has a, this big feeling. There's a lot of movement that um, moves from front to back from side to side, which hadn't been my experience of yoga early on. And, the, and some of that inspiration is um, this love for the dervishes and this turning. And this turning is this turning, returning, returning home, this place where human and divine meet, this dissolving into love. What's turning is outside of you is everything that you're not. Um, I don't know that I was conscious of that when I began to move from side to side and have these big, uh, bigger, bold moves that have this quality of ecstasy, of creating incredible ecstasy, meaning like churning and moving the body, and also this more subtle, quiet stillness that comes out of this big movement. Like without the big movement, uh, it's like through the movement, uh, like the movement becomes the medicine for this stillness, for this direct experience of oneness. Um, so yeah, I was in Istanbul for Rumi's wedding celebration, which is the day he died and becomes, he merges with the beloved. And I love all that. <laughs> like, I, 
that feeling like for me with the yoga is like or like I'm separate we get on this call or I'm moving and I start moving and I I'm still not feeling connected and like it takes time and I have to trust I have to stay on my mat and then I begin to feel like my dance partner like God is my dance partner and like a little awkward at first and then there's these you know moments where we begin to align and flow and dance and merge and sway and fall in love and so that has been the romance for me with the movement of uh that has has been it and so then to be in Istanbul after being in Konya at this and then meet all these yogis um and share yoga like in is you know in Turkey in Paris in New York down the block on the street in the aisle on the plane whatever uh It's. It feels like a way, like everybody has their way, you know, in, and uh, yoga has just brought so many people into my life, and the movement has become a way to express myself creatively. I teach from my practice, so what you're getting is my practice, and uh, hopefully when all of you listening, if you're checking it in, you know, if you're still curious about cultivating your own practice, you run to your mat in the morning. Just run, and something's going to happen. <laughs> something's going to happen if you run to your mat. And it's the mat is like the metaphor. The mat's not like this is the most important thing is my mat or any one of these moves. It's, you know, the wall becomes the door. <laughs> if you're willing, like you have to really, you know, like sometimes my yoga teacher, the yoga teacher's, come out of school and they're like, don't feel qualified to teach yoga. And they'll say, well, I don't, I said, you feel qualified. No, I don't feel qualified to teach. Because they're newer, just, you know, we feel such like this thing, like, how am I, how am I qualified enough? You know, like, how are you not? But, like, have you suffered? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, you're qualified. <laughs> you're qualified to teach. You know, like, you know, when your heart breaks, it breaks and it breaks open. And that's, you know, this practice again and again. Otherwise, my heart would just, how many times would it just close up and never open up again? Right? It's like, oh, I can't let my heart open again. I, I might get hurt. Uh, and we're just willing as yogis to be like, let's, let's go in. Let's go into the fire. That's how we transform. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of challenges. There's difficulties. So you're in some tough poses. Like, how great to learn how to be with things in these tough moments. How to, like, Hold your friends when they hurt, you know, and um, be present. What would you say for the physical asanas, the physical posture is a po posture that's really tough for you right now, whether it be today, whether it be this past week, something that you're challenged by? Oh, all the poses make me crazy. <laughs> Yesterday we tried a new, uh, I said, oh, I'm picking something like, that's eluded me for a million years. And it's that forearm stand with one hand where you line, like instead of having both forearms, bring the other hand, you know, in line with the opposite elbow. And I was like, I love, I, I love challenges. So I've never run away. I probably easier to run away from things I need to look at in my life than the pose. Like it's easier almost to pick a more challenging pose and say, what's challenging me right now in my pose? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, then sometimes see things, but I can't see them until I can see them. I might be avoiding them, but hopefully 
with the practice, I can get honest and see what I need to see when I do. Challenging poses in general are backbending for me. Uh, I feel like I have this crazy big heart, and sometimes I think, is it my lower back? Is it these shoulders? I had a, like a repair, I guess, last year. Um, what ends up happening is like a bone spur starts happening, and when the bone spur is created, then it starts cutting at the muscle. Like it creates a bone spur, but the very bone spur starts like shredding the muscle. Yeah, but I'm you know able to do. I never was. I was only injured very early on when I was forced into assists, and that's when I began to question like, what is yoga? What am I practicing? I had my hamstring ripped on me. I had my meniscus ripped on me. This is many years ago, and that's when I became curious, really curious, um, to find out what it meant to move like myself. And that perhaps in this conversation, Julia Hamlin, was the greatest challenge. I could run around and take a million classes, but the greatest challenge became committing to my own sadhana, my own practice, not because of mine, but because practicing helps me remember my true nature, my highest self. Otherwise, I forget and have really crazy amnesia, you know, where I don't remember my true nature. And the flow, the movement, dancing with the, my beloved, um, dancing with the divine helps me remember. So the real challenge is getting to the mat every morning and saying, this is how I want to remember. I practice to remember. Mm. Yes, I tried that new arm balance. I'm always, I always want to keep things new. Um, I put uh, an Einstein quote on my Facebook page before I taught yesterday and said, said something like, um, you have to make mistakes in order to try something new, something like that. So I said for class, let's come and make as many mistakes as you can. <laughs> if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying something new. So I wish you all many mistakes. May you make as many mistakes as you can. So that you try everything, you know, yeah. try absolutely everything. Perhaps the metaphor of trying something new is if you want a new relationship, but then you want to sustain the relationship and you have to be willing to go out on dates <laughs> in order to date someone. And then you have to, be, you know, practice communicating with them. And so in the same way with your yoga practice, you know, you want it to be like one long conversation where you stay connected through the practice to your truth, to uh, align with to align with love, and so that's that's the challenge. That's the the more interesting, potent challenge is the daily commitment. That it's daily. That it's not just the moves. Although I dig the moves, I dig the moves. Uh, yeah. In the yoga world presently, I feel like there's a lot of conversation about the intersection between using music and yoga classes. I know in Lotus Flow in particular, dance, music, yoga, devotion are all really interconnected. What do you see as the connection between music and yoga? And how has it served you in your own practice and in your teaching? When you hear Stairway to Heaven... <laughs> Do you remember, do you remember Stairway to Heaven? Yes. <laughs> well, music creates a feeling, a, a bob, a mood. When I hear, I, if I, I think I was dancing before I was walking. 
uh, curating a playlist, you know, like if you've ever seen someone dance, for, certainly if you hear music, you start to dance. If you are a spectator in a moment of seeing dance, you can experience incredible musicality. Like, it looks as if the dancer, it feels as if the dancer is creating the music with her body. Have you ever experienced that? Mm, yes. You're watching a dancer, a ballet, a modern, a jazz, and it's like their movement, that's musicality. And so creating musicality is a, so I might start moving on my mat and then think of a song or I might, uh, and I start with slower music, but really cool or a, a beat or I get a feeling. Um, and I would definitely follow me on Spotify, Dana Trixie Flynn. <laughs> um, I was just this morning enjoying an incredible amount of music and movement. So it's really personal. There's as many yogas as there are all of you yogis. And there's as many opinions too. So, you know, uh, some people that don't want to use music and think you hide behind it or it takes away from your breathing, don't use it. You know, like, I love chanting in class. I love devotional singing. Uh, the bhakti is a way to, you know, if you want to know where God is, have God on your lips. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Sita, Sita Ram. So I love the feeling of God. Like, where is God? God's, the sound of God is God. The sound of God is God. So when I'm moving with the music, I become the music. That alignment, that aligning with my spiritual purpose. Uh, music is my God. Nina Simone said that. Music is my God. Um, and I love Nina Simone. I met Nina Simone. I hung out with Nina Simone. I love her music. I love music that creates a feeling. I love a big beat. I love classical music. I love Ludovicio, you know, with the song Fly. Uh, I love Big Day. I just saw Lady Gaga last night. My voice is a little bit like this. Oh, my God. She was so beyond I'm like it's like she's great okay let me see her live oh my god I have not recovered from bad romance to, to to gypsy I mean it was amazing it was so powered up and she gave so much she was so generous that's 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 a great gift as a teacher to be generous you know um and that's where I, that's where really our strength comes as yogis is to be generous and our vulnerability of course so music is Music is madness. It's tight. It's exciting. You know, you get that great big pike in the beginning with Surya Namaskar and the big standing pose dance sequence and Lotus Flow. And, you know, every teacher moves differently. I move faster than the other teachers. <laughs> Some people say, hey, this is like New York yoga. I'm like, no, I move faster than the rest of the teachers at Lotus. Um, but I like that speed. It also reflects the city here. Like, the energy of New York City, you know, I'm very much, this town is like a big part of who I am and the rhythm and the heartbeat and the music now that it's warmer comes blaring out of the cars and there's, you know, even I was just in New Orleans and jazz comes around the corner and you hear the brass and the and the second line come around. I like to include the things that I'm crazy about that turn me on. Like when I thought that yoga only looked one way, oh, this is yoga. And it's very mechanical. And I went through I went through the moves. I wasn't, I went through the moves, but that was my process. I was like, oh, this is warrior two, and this is triangle. That's great. But then to like unleash and feel the energy, not only of the shapes that are like 
the mantra on your lips, like the shape, like a mantra releases a vibration and each shape has its own vibration and its own feeling. And of course it's different each moment, almost like a raga. Like if you practice in the morning, a morning raga would be different than an evening raga. Like you feel differently at different times. You feel different if you're in love when you're practicing and your practice has a new pep in it than when if you're going through a breakup or your father's sick or a beloved is ailing or, you know, you go through so much. And I, I feel like feeling all that keeps your practice relevant and compelling and, and, and true than like, whatever, I don't have to compare it to anything. I just came to my mat and did a bunch of asanas. Like what's behind my practice? Am I, what am I practicing? You know, it comes back to like, what am I practicing? Mm -hmm. Okay. So some people come, they want to get stronger. So that's what you're practicing. Some people come, they want more peace. Some people come to yoga because they want to do some inversions or learn how to meditate. You know, it's like whatever it is that you want, whatever you're longing for, you, yoga allows you to take a step in that direction. More, more strength and more peace. Both are there. They become like two hands coming together in your prayer. Like, what is your prayer? What's your longing? This practice will bring you closer to it. I mean, it could be called something else, but it is called yoga, and it has stayed alive. Look at all the practices that have come and gone. It's compelling for everybody everywhere to connect more deeply to themselves and feel like, hey, we also feel like we're in this something together, that there's something bigger going on that we connect with. What are you excited about for the rest of 2014? I know you've done a lot of traveling thus far, and there's the Lotus Shakti Summit coming up, but what is inspiring you? Well, I'm really excited about the Lotus Shakti Summit um, because of the situation, like we mentioned, you and I met at Kripalu, your, what was your senior year? Your my senior, this summer after my senior year of high school. Okay. And now we're re-meeting in this awesome way. <laughs> and so I've got a lot of beings that have touched my life and made my life what it is that move and grow and their life takes them in different places. So having this reunion, right, yoga, sometimes it's defined as a union. Like it's really a reunion, right? Because you're reuniting, you've forgotten your higher self, you've forgotten that you are it. <laughs> um, that you are God in drag, as Hafez says. That you are God hiding from yourself. So you, yoga allows you to have a reunion with your true self. And then a reunion, the Lotus Shakti Summit, is that. We invite friends we haven't seen that feel drawn to come visit, come home, study deeper. And also it's invited for all yogis from Ayurveda offerings to partnering to fly workshops to the yoga sutras. Um, it's a yoga festival. It's a yoga party. It's a yoga retreat in New York City, June 13th to the 15th, and the offerings are for everyone, for everyone that wants to move closer to the divine. I'm really excited about the Shakti Summit. In fact, it's given me some extra Shakti. <laughs> some extra Shakti. Uh, that's around the corner. Everything excites me. You know, I've been, uh, we have a bunch of amazing uh, teachers in L.A., and so we've started doing these really cool 50-hour uh, offerings, 
that are five days and 50 hours, Julia, where you can do five days of fly, inversions, bandhas, arm balances, five days of chanting, bhakti, mantras, devotional practices, uh, harmonium, five days of mythology, storytelling, five days of super sequencing. So we've met yogis from all over the world. We just did one in L.A. for five days on super sequencing, and they came from as far as Sweden and Australia. We just had five days of Ayurveda here and five days of Bhakti. So these 50-hour, five-day programs, you can just take one, not just. You can take one and feel that you could chant more or fly with more ease or get the sacred tools to support your personal growth. Um, for your own practice, and if you are a teacher, then you'd be able to feel like, wow, I, I'm learning and I can share more and support my, if it's a hands-on, we have five days of hands-on. So I'm very passionate about those offerings because I get to meet these really cool yogis that like really are passionate about staying on the path and sharing what they love with themselves and their students, and that's been big. So in August... We have like uh, four of them coming up, and it's really, really awesome because uh, they go back to back from super sequencing August 4th to August 11th, fly to uh, all of them are here in a row here. Ah, Dana Pixie Flynn. <laughs> uh, so I would jump online and just see where, you know, we can spend more time together and if you want to stay inspired, you got to hang out with inspiring people. And that's, that's what I do. I mean, I've just gone, you know, go where it's warm, you know, when you taste something and you like it. And so, uh, I've done that with the teachers in my life. And right now my main inspiration are the teachers at Lotus, the creative teaching team, Allie, Sherry, Mary Dana, Emily, Kenny. I mean, all of them, uh, we learn so much from each other. We really support each other. We just had a meeting yesterday with the teaching team. Um, when I opened up Lotus all those years ago, it was on a rooftop. And we've got our rooftop yoga classes happening in June, right before the summit, right after the summit. And then we roll into uh, our 200-hour, four-week intensive, and then all these really cool 50-hour offerings. And they're going to be throughout the year. So yogis, um, check it in. I'm, I'm going to be... Uh, Back in L.A. because L.A. worked out and who knows, maybe an L.A. location. We've got some Austin yogis that are feeling really uh, fired up about a Lotus in Austin, Texas. And they started the Lotus Collective in Austin. And so it's family. Like, you're, like there's an architecture. Just so I get a little hit of this before we finish uh, our time here. There is an architecture. There is a container. That is Lotus Flow. Um, <clears throat> and then there's all this freedom so that you make it yours. It's like having like a light, a light post or guidelines, the way Patanjali has guidelines. And um, at the same time, if you took any one of the te teachers I just mentioned, you'd be like, wow, they're all really different. So my love, my passion as a mentor is to bring out and mentor these teachers and friends and beings is where I see, like, Lauren, who has the most beautiful voice in the world, didn't like singing during teacher training, didn't ever chant. And if you hear her chant, you'd be like, and then I would keep having her sing and say, you need to sing. And she'll always say that. And now she leads our Bhakti program. 
She's our main. She leads our kirtan. She's teaching. She's leading the kirtan at the summit. She has the most exquisite voice. So that has been the most fulfilling thing to me as I keep showing up and uh, is seeing, you know, where there's these gifts that each teacher has and they, they might not know it. And I, God willing, can not just draw it, like mudra means to draw forth, um, draw, to draw forth that, but to like shine a light on it and support it and also give those loving nudges. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm excited about being around these teachers that keep it fresh and new and they stay curious and we all keep each other curious and stay inspired. Um, so that, that challenge, Julia, of running to the mat becomes daily and becomes a way to remember uh, my higher self, my purpose to, to, to keep loving, to keep forgiving, uh, Stay connected uh, because, you know, on my own, I'll just go off the beam. So the practice is how I remember. I love that. Thank you. To close up our interview, I have a few fun either-or questions. Hit me. Hit me. Smoothies <laughs> or juices? Juices. Early bird or night owl? Early, although last night was both. Early. <laughs> And God, well, in the summer, there's no reason to sleep. It's light. I'm up early and I'm out late, but I'm going to early. I'm going to go with early. Apple, May, early. <laughs> apples or oranges? Mmm. Mm, I just had the best apple in Paris, but I do love oranges. Wow. I'm not going to make a choice there. Mountains oh. or oceans? Say that again. Mountains or oceans? Water, 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 near water. I was on the Seine every day. I'm usually down on the Hudson. Yesterday I was down there on my bike. Water, 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 <laughs> water. I love the river and the ocean. Um, thanks for listening to episode 42 of the Running on Om podcast with Dana Flynn, yoga teacher and co-creator of the Laughing Lotus Yoga Center. If you would like to connect with Dana and the Running on Ohm community, you can find us on runningonohm.com, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. In addition, in order to help others find the Running on Ohm podcast, it would be very helpful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.